Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. There's nothing better to sing about than the magnificent love that our God has shown us in saving us. The church is the assembly of those who have been blessed by the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that's the theme of our song. And it's wonderful to hear you sing uh, God's praises and to sing of his love. The sermon this morning will be from James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. The title of the sermon is a question that comes right out of the second verse that we'll read, James chapter 4, verse 12. And the question is a corker of a question because the question is simply this. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment of worship, let my teaching fall like rain and my words settle like the dew, like the gentle rain on the new grass that showers the tender plants that they may grow. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God, our rock. His way is perfect and all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, good and upright is the Lord our God. So now in this hour, by the mighty name of Jesus, may this teaching fall like rain to shower the tender plants that they might grow. Amen. Who are you to judge your neighbor? James' question here is a question that lands right on all of us with a habit that we have and a way of speaking that we have that James knows about, God knows about, and so he calls us on it. He says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Verses 11 and 12 are about how we speak evil and we judge our neighbor. If you read the two verses together, I just put a whole bunch of equal signs up on top of the verses because these are verses where he simply says, he, he says this, to speak evil against your brother equals judging your brother. And then he says, speaking evil against your brother or judging your brother equals judging the law, the law of God. And judging the law of God, he says, equals not being a doer of the law, but being a judge of the law. And then he says, not being a doer of the law and not being a judge of the law equals, verse 12, it actually equals saying, hmm, there isn't just one God who sees into the hearts and judges everything. There are two. There's God and me. When he gets to this subject of speaking. James already talked about the tongue in chapter three. He's talking about what our tongue does, not 
So uh, put it like this. There are other passages of scripture that say, don't say something bad about somebody else if it's a lie, if it's not true. That's not what this passage says. In other words, James doesn't say, don't speak evil about your neighbor because the evil that you're speaking is a lie. Maybe it even is true. And then there are other passages where it says, don't speak evil about your neighbor because that's not loving to your neighbor. That's also a biblical truth, but it's not here. James isn't, isn't evaluating on whether it's true or not or whether it's loving or not. The one evaluation that James is making is, if it is this. Is it humble or is it proud? Because verses 11 and 12 are about our speech, but verse 10 is what it's really about. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, he's talking about humility in verses 11 and 12, and he's actually talking about humility in verses 13 through 17. In verses 11 and 12, he says, living humbly before God means not speaking slanderously about other people. But then look at verses 13 to 17. You ever seen those verses before? Don't say you're going to go to such and such a place, but say only if the Lord wills. So verses 11 and 12, walking humbly before God means not speaking slanderously about other people. Verses 13 to 17, walking humbly before God means not speaking presumptuously about yourself and your own plans. You see, verses 11 and 12, in what we say about other people, we should humble ourselves because we are not able to see into their hearts. But then verses 13 to 17 in what we say about the future, we should humble ourselves because we're not able to see into tomorrow and we don't know what's going to happen. So it's about humility in our inability to judge others and humility in our inability to predict the future, verses 13 to 17. How we talk about others proves four things about us. And these four things come from verse 11, the first two, verse 12, the second two. So it's points one, two, three, four are 411A, 411B, 412A, and 412B. How we talk about other people proves four things about us. Number one, what we think of others, what we think of others. Because 11 says we should think of others as brothers, not as those that we judge. Second, how we talk about other people proves what we think about the Bible, you see the second half of verse 11. The one who speaks evil against his brother speaks evil against the Bible or the law and judges the law. So how we talk about other people proves first what we think of others, second, what we think of the Bible, third, most significantly, how we talk about other people proves what we think about God. Twelve, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. And then fourth and finally, how we talk about other people proves what we think about ourselves. And this is that sort of karate chop to the throat question in the very last sentence. Who are you to judge your neighbor? How we talk about other people proves who we think we are and what we think we have the right to do. So first, how we talk about other people proves what we think of others. We should think of others as brothers, and sisters whom we love. I hope you remember what James said in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. James chapter 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And when James says to the church, like I'm saying in this moment right now to, to you, you are my beloved brothers and sisters. That means beloved in two ways. 
You're my brother and sister because God has loved you and the Son of God has shed his blood for you. We're going to remember that at the close of this service when we take communion. The love of God is shown in this, that the Son of God laid down his life for us. So we're beloved because he has loved us and saved us. But when, but when I say, you're my beloved brothers and sisters, I also mean, I love you. And I actually feel like and think and know that you love me. And that love that God has loved us with, now we share that in the same family. So he says in James 1:16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Church, James 1, 16 and 17 says this. We are brothers and sisters with each other because we belong to the same Father who, watch, the same Father who always gives us every good gift that we need. We're in a family together, and we have a dad who gives us everything we need. Therefore, how crazy is it that we claw at each other and we try to push her down and push him down so that I can get what I need? Why would we downgrade and judge and speak evilly of our brothers and sisters when we are brothers and sisters because we have a God who gives us every good gift that we need. How we talk about other people proves what we think of others. Second, it proves what we think of the Bible, how we regard the law. You know, one time they asked Jesus kind of what's your favorite Bible verse or what's the most important verse in the Bible? And one way to translate that or understand that, it's almost as if they asked Jesus, why were we given the Bible? And Jesus said, the reason we've been given the Bible is so that we could know that God loves us and so that we could love God and love others. Remember he said the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The reason we've been given the Bible is so that we can love God and love our neighbor. But James actually says, this is why this is kind of a body blow kind of sermon. James says, the way you talk about the Bible sometimes shows that you actually think the reason you've give, been given the Bible is so that you could find things in it to disagree with God about. And then he says, and sometimes the way you use the Bible claw down other people shows that you think God gave you a Bible so you could accuse and judge other people. That is not why God gave you his book. How we talk about other people proves not only what we think of others and what we think of the Bible, but third, it proves what we think of God. See verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and only one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. There is only one God, who is able to destroy us, and there's only one God who's able to save us. At the close of this service, we will take communion together, the body and the blood of Jesus. Maybe this might strike you as weird, but maybe you've never thought about it this way before. For you to, for you to receive that communion in a worthy manner means that you have to be, you have to be a person who actually believes God 
would have been right to destroy me. There is one lawgiver and one judge. And to be saved from God's wrath by the grace of God on the cross means that you are a person who believes if God had condemned me, I would have received that condemnation, body and spirit. And that instead of condemning me, Christ's body took that, Christ took that in my place. But you believe that God is the one judge who had the right to destroy and condemn you. What we celebrate is that instead of destroying us, he crushed his own son. But make no mistake about it, we believe that God has the right to judge and destroy. And then fourth, how we talk about other people proves that what we think of ourselves by that last question, who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, he is saying, if you judge your neighbor, you are presuming that God has a room for you on his throne. It's a two-seater. Who are you to presume that? You're presuming into a position that belongs to God and God alone. So James 4, 11 and 12, here's the wisdom, here's the, the idea of the teaching in a sentence or two. Here it is. In a healthy church, gossip is stopped. In a healthy church, evil speaking, running down other people is stopped. But in an unhealthy church, gossip is encouraged and evil speaking of others is rewarded. By the same token, in an unhealthy church, spiritual conversation is silenced. But in a healthy church, spiritual conversation is applauded and encouraged. In a healthy church, gossip is stopped and spiritual conversation is encouraged. In an unhealthy church, gossip is encouraged and spiritual conversation is stopped up. If this is true and we know this is true, then don't you wonder, why, why do we gossip about each other so much? Why do we speak evil of brothers and sisters so much? Why do we do it? Well, don't you think that if you want to be a person, and who doesn't, that's like the, the, that everyone else quiets down to hear what you have to say? If you want to be that person that you, you're, the, you're the one that everyone's coming to, there's no cheaper or less expensive or easier or more convenient way to do that than to have some little juicy bit of gossip that everyone wants to hear. That's, that's so crass because you don't actually have to become a good person to be the center of attention. You don't actually have to have something worth hearing. You just have to have some juicy rumor of gossip and then all of a sudden everyone will want to hear you. It's the quickest way to pump up your popularity and it's sick and it's devastating. What James says on uh, verse 11, do not speak evil against another. You could literally translate that. Do not, do not speak down about one another. It's our expression of running others down with our mouth. It denotes derogatory speech that is intended to influence others against that person and for you. James isn't even necessarily saying that what you're speaking is untrue. It might be true. 
But what James is getting at is that your motive is proud rather than humble. Your motive is hostile rather than healing. There's a way to deal with conflict that heals, but there's also a way to deal with negativity that just becomes more and more hostile. And that's what James is getting at when we justify ourselves by judging others, when we run our reputation up by running down other people's reputations, when we promote ourselves by demoting and demolishing others. And don't you admit we do that all the time? Irish satirist and poet Jonathan Swift he has all these little limericks where he describes the human heart and I find them uh, devastatingly accurate. He says in one of his little limericks, vain, vain humankind, fantastical race, thy varying follies who can trace? Self-love, ambition, envy, pride, their empire in our hearts divide. Give others riches, power, or station, tis all to me a usurpation. I have no title to aspire, but when you sink, I seem the higher. That's the way the human heart is. Even if I wasn't aspiring to some position, if I see that you're going to get it and I can push you down, that makes me lift a little higher. It's insidious, but it is also the human heart. And you do agree, don't you, that almost nothing has as deleterious an effect on the life of a congregation as gossip and backstabbing kind of speech. I've seen it happen quite often where somebody here needed help. You needed help in your marriage or uh, you needed help with, a, with a, a sin, a habitual sin that you were struggling with and you didn't come for help. And then later on, finally, something happens and you've come to me or somebody else for help. And we've asked, well, why didn't you come for help before? And the answer is, because last time I opened up about what was really going on in my life, I got burned by the church. And I don't want that to happen again. This is dangerous because it disables the very lifelines of grace that are supposed to, that, that must enable us as a healthy church to have those spiritual conversations where we help each other. In a healthy church, we have those kinds of exhorting and encouraging and admonishing conversations all along. Romans 15, 14, I'm confident of this, beloved, that you can admonish one another. In an unhealthy church, that is stopped and just sort of gossip is started. But in a healthy church, it's the other way round. James says that it's a violation of the law. How is that? Well, it's a violation of the very center of the law in Leviticus. Leviticus is admittedly not a very popular book. And if I was just to ask you, or, or not me, because I'm your pastor, but if just some random person on the street was to say, how many verses have you memorized out of the book of Leviticus? You would say, none. I don't know any verses from Leviticus. Well, actually you do. You do. It's like the most famous verse of all. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, is where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is amazing. Uh, two verses ahead that, I think it's 19, verse 16, is this statement in Leviticus. I deliver it to you from the KJV because I love the KJV. It says this, thou shalt not go up and down amongst thy people as a talebearer. 
thou shalt not go up and down amongst thy people as a talebearer, for to do so is to hate your neighbor. This is the very essence of what it means either to hate or to love our neighbor. And this this concept from Leviticus 19 is reiterated and repeated throughout the scripture, throughout the Old Testament. Hear it in Psalms chapter 50, Psalm 50 verse 19. God is condemning his people and God says this, you give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue free frame for deceit. Psalm 50, verse 20. You sit and speak against your brother and you slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent. Have you ever heard this verse before? This is Psalm 50. After he says you're slandering and you're running down your mother's son, this is what he says. These things you did and I was silent. You did these things, God says, because you thought that I was just like you. Now I rebuke you and I lay this charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver you from me. Psalm 50, verse 21. That's how seriously God takes this issue of slander. Proverbs 20, verse 19, rearticulates Leviticus 19, 16. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a foolish babbler. Do not associate with a foolish babbler. So church, with the power vested in me as your senior pastor, I hereby say, you have my permission to go up to that person today and say, "Mm, my Bible says that I must not associate with a foolish babbler. And dear friend, that's you. I shall no longer associate with thee. I'm not saying that will be easy, but I'm saying the the effect of the time that you spend around that foolish babbler is toxic enough on you and the rest of your relationships that you actually should do that. You actually should. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A dishonest person spreads strife and a whisperer separates intimate friends. What a thing for the Proverbs to say in Proverbs 16, 28. We think like... Oh, the fallout of a presidential election is what it takes to separate friends. No, a whisper, a whisper separates intimate friends. Proverbs 17, verse 9. This is a beautiful proverb. Proverbs 17, verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Love covers over. Love forbears. Love forgives. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. The Hebraic antithetical parallelism in the proverb, to have love to cover over. But then the second half, he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. This is how dangerous this sort of gossip and slander is. It's so common. And yet it is true that in a healthy church, gossip is impeded. In an unhealthy church, gossip advances. In a healthy church, speech that tears down is, has free range. But in a healthy church, speech that builds up is what's encouraged. In a healthy, loving church, we want spiritual conversations, not this sort of back alley rumor mongering. If, 
It is so common, and it is so common. Why do we have to move away from it? And the reason why is given in verse 12. Because there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? God and God alone is the judge, right? 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord sees, not as man sees. Man sees the outward appearance. God sees the heart. There is only one. There is only one who judges the heart of humanity. And that is God and God alone. 1 Kings 8, 39 says the same thing. Proverbs 15, 11 says the same. It's all over the place in the scripture. And then he says, to follow that up, that there's only one lawgiver, then he follows that up with, who are you? To judge your neighbor. The answer to the question, who are you, is this. I am an unqualified individual when it comes to judging my neighbor. That's the correct answer. I am an unqualified person. Why am I not qualified to judge my neighbor? Church, you're not qualified for two very obvious reasons. One, you lack perfect integrity. Two, you lack perfect information. You're not qualified to judge your neighbor because first, you lack perfect integrity. Case in point, that juicy item that you are judging your neighbor about on Friday is very close to something you yourself are going to do next Thursday. And you lack the integrity. But secondly, you lack the information. Only God sees the heart. And so often you don't have complete information, right, for the judgments that you're making. I often make judgments and I don't have a, the precise information that I need to make those judgments. Case in point, in my life, in a kind of an embarrassing way, was the, last, the, the very last day that we had that was really cold. May we never have another one. But the last day that we had that was really cold, um, we have a dog and we don't have a, we don't have a fence in our backyard. But we like our dog to use our yard rather than our house to do his business. So we have a line that he hooks to, that he goes out in the backyard, and then that line runs right up to our back door, and then as soon as he's done and he comes up, I click that line off of his collar and he comes in the house. So I put the dog out on this cold day to do his business. He did it. He finishes. He comes to the house. I click the line. I was like, come inside. And he just stands there. Blink, blink. I'm like, come inside. I am not out here for my personal winter experience. Come inside. And he's like, blink, blink. And so I lost it. I said, who do you think pays the mortgage for this backyard? Who do you think lugs in those 40-pound bags of dog food? Who do you think belongs in Dante's Inferno? You! Why won't you come in? And he's just looking at me, blink, blink. And finally I see, I clicked the line, but all I did was click it. I didn't uncouple it. And this dog is like, I want to come in. I love you. I don't want to go to hell. But he, did, but he doesn't. He couldn't. He couldn't come in. See, I lacked perfect information. This is not an uncommon occurrence in my life or in yours, right? Proverbs 18.13, Proverbs 18.17, Proverbs 18.13. He is a fool who gives a response before hearing both sides of a matter. Proverbs 18.17, the first to plead his case seems just until another comes and examines him. Way too often, we move out and make our decision when we have incomplete information. 
There have been many times, and the word many is not an exaggeration. There have been many times in my ministry when I have seen or heard something, and as a leader, I have moved ahead to deal with it. And then, a little bit later, I hear more information. And then I have had to, some of you, you can honestly nod your head yes, because some of you are the very persons that I have had to go to and apologize to say, I, I dealt with it this way, but I didn't know these things. And so I don't want to deal with it that way anymore. I apologize for dealing with it the wrong way at first. Let's fix this. This happens a lot because we don't have perfect information. Well, if this is what we don't want to do and we don't, before we take communion together, let's take a moment or two and talk about the right, the right way to move in our relationships. Because after all, being a part of this family does not just mean, well, we don't say anything bad to each other, therefore, we don't talk. <laughs> That's not a healthy family. We got to know how to speak to each other with humility. Because after all, there are many negative things that you could say about me that would be true. The reason why is because I'm flawed. And before you get happy about that, let me remind you, you are no picnic either. There are many true negative things that I could say about you. But there's a wrong way to say those things, to harm you, to gossip about you. But there's a right way to say those things in some cases, and that is to say them to you in a way that offers help and hope. We always want to encourage each other to greater godliness. We always want to encourage each other to, to move and grow and change and be more like Jesus. And so we say, how do we, if we have a concern about someone or have a correction about someone, how do we deliver it? And let me just tell you, I, let me just tell you, I don't mean to oversimplify, but this is not complicated. It's very simple. The, the only way to deal with it, if you know something negative about me that you're concerned about or I know about you, the only way to deal with it is this. Only speak to the very person that you're concerned with. And second, only speak out of a motive to help them, not to harm them. If you go speaking to somebody else, then you're harming them because you're running them down. You speak it only to them and you only speak it if, if speaking it can help them. This is precisely what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 15 and 17, a text that everybody in a church like ours, we really ought to know that text. It's a, it's a beautiful text. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story about a one lamb that's getting away. And he says, if a shepherd loves that lamb, he'll, he won't let him wander away, but he'll bring him back. And after this heartwarming story, Jesus gives a very didactic way to deal with those who are straying. And he says very clearly there, if your sister or brother is in sin, you go and try to win them between you and them alone. And then he says, if they do not listen to you, then bring two or three witnesses. This is not to gang up on them, but brilliantly, the two or three witnesses means that if, even if I'm the one confronting you, if the second step is that I bring witnesses with me, then it's me being the one doing the confronting, admitting I might be wrong here. I don't know all the information here. So other non-biased parties can, can help us mediate this thing and figure it out. And then Jesus says, if they don't listen to the witnesses, you tell it to the church and ultimately even reflecting again on communion that will take the body and blood of Jesus. He says, if a, 
If your brother or sister refuses to repent even after that, then he says, essentially what he says is they can no longer receive communion in the church. They're disfellowshipped. But it's a, it's a process where there's specificity and clarity on every step of the process. But I just know in my life, more, more, again, more is not an exaggeration, more than a few times, because I've been here over 20 years now, more than a few times, a fellow elder or a fellow church member, one of you, has said to me something like this, ah, this is a little awkward, but can I ask you a question about something that I am concerned about you or I heard you did this and I, I think it might not be very good. And whenever I'm asked that, my answer should be, well, yes, 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 you can talk to me about your concerns. And the reason why is because I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, I want to be like Jesus. And I'm telling you, I know I am not yet like Jesus as much as I should be. And there's one other thing to add here. I actually believe that you may be able to see a way that I am not yet like Jesus better than I can. And I may be able to see a way that you aren't yet like Jesus better than you can. And that's why we need each other, not in harmful interactions and gossipy interactions, but in helpful interactions like this. And this is the way that the church grows. And so we're always having these conversations and we're always asking these questions. Well, how can I pray for you? Not just physically. In a, in a healthy church, we pray for each other's medical needs. But in a healthy church, we pray for each other spiritually. And when we say, how can I pray for you? What we mean is, is there sin you need help combating? Is there a virtue of Christ-likeness that you need help putting on? And how can I help you spiritually in a healthy church? These kinds of conversations happen all the time because we're family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So instead of judging one another or speaking harmfully about you behind your back, I speak helpfully to you, right to you. If you look at the text again in verse 12, it says there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. James says there is a God who is able to destroy us. He could have condemned us and judged us, but he didn't. Instead, he offers us mercy and forgiveness. And now in light of his mercy and forgiveness, we no longer judge one another, but we extend that same forgiveness and that same mercy to each other. In fact, beloved church, this is the mercy and forgiveness that we will remember as we take communion together in a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hear your children as they pray. And Heavenly Father, we confess we have sinned with our tongues. We've sinned by what we have failed to say righteously and truthfully and we have sinned by what we have said in a gossipy, selfish, proud way. And we confess and we repent. Holy Spirit, grant us this true repentance. Grant us your, your cleansing in our heart. Heavenly Father, hear your children as they pray. Strengthen us to be the brothers and sisters to each other that we need to be.
where we can have these, have these healthy conversations, these spiritual conversations to help one another to grow to be more like Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, help your church. Help us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.